Praise God. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm sorry. <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 3. Like, wait, I thought we were in 3. We are. We're looking at the qualifications for elders. Uh, have the elders meeting tonight. I know one of our elders is upstairs uh, teaching young people. Pastor Steve is over there. And Jonathan, been seeing a lot of him lately, but don't see him today. But I'm not Jonathan, uh, John Heber. But uh, hopefully you'll hear this message because these messages are not just for elders, though. They're for everybody. And uh, it's vital that we understand what God calls leadership to. Not, and if you're an elder, it's incredibly important, right, man? But if you're not an elder, it's also important to understand what the qualifications are, uh, what the elder's role is. And there's a lot of application to our own lives because many of the things that we see that the elder is called to is what a mature man of God and often most of these verses, woman of God is called to. Becoming more like Christ and so forth. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, Lord be with us and strengthen us, Lord. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. We looked at three different Greek words that are translated or relate to being an elder. I'm not going to review all those. They're in a few messages back when, in Timothy, that is. But an overseer, and definitely an overseer oversees, right? Then must be above reproach. We've looked at that. The husband of one wife. We looked at that. We did a whole study on that. The husband of one wife, and we got to talk about marital faithfulness and so forth. Temperate. Prudent, respectable. We looked at all those things. Hospitable. We did a whole message on being hospitable because those things apply to our lives and we're all called to show hospitality, amen? We should all open up our homes to one degree or another, depending on your circumstances, but to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the last thing on the list is able to what? Able to teach. Now, it's interesting, when you look at the qualifications that follow the qualifications of an elder, you see the qualifications of a deacon, and they're basically the same except for one critical thing. Good to see you, James Jackson. Didn't see you until just now. That he must be able to teach, okay? Able to teach. And that's critical for the qualification of an elder. That means he needs to know the Word of God. Because if you don't know the Word of God, how are you going to teach the Word of God, Amen. So it's vital that we know the Word of God so we can teach the Word of God. And he must be able to teach. And I want to focus on that because this is what the churches are missing today. This is what our homes are missing today. They're missing the love of Christ and the Word of Christ. So we must emulate the love of Christ in our homes and show forth Jesus to one another. But we also must be filled with the Word. All believers, not just elders. In the book of Colossians, it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you what, what, what do you remember that it says? Richly. Amen. Good job, Lisa. You let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I know, Mark's your brother's missing today, so I'm so happy to hear that. You know, just kidding. <laughs> if you're listening by live stream, Mark, praise the Lord. Usually I have him belting it out over there. But let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amen. So uh, that's very important. I'm always emphasizing to you, stay in the word, be in the word, get in the word. Beginning of this year, I was saying, man, what a great opportunity to go through the Bible in a year, amen? And if you don't get through the whole Bible in a year, praise God, at least you'll be close. If you, read, if you go through four chapters a day, you'll be out of the Bible. I mean, you'll be through the entire Bible by October. Now, if you say, wow, I've started a little late, man, it's late January right now. You'll be out in November then. You'll still beat it. What if I miss a day here and there? You'll still probably get done in the year. What if I miss quite a few days? Well, you'll get done early next year. Just be in the Word. That's the important thing, amen? So I want to encourage you to be in the Word. Now, it's interesting when he says the elders must be able to teach. He's writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor, who is there stationed at the church at Ephesus. And as a young pastor at Ephesus, he's called to appoint elders in the church. That's a task that's a big deal for a pastor. Believe me, I know. Because I was a young pastor having to appoint elders. And I had to look at the qualifications. And thankfully, so many of the young men with me that were growing in Christ just had a love for the Word of God and a love for the sheep. And it made it easier. Uh, but 
it shouldn't be hard for a church to find men that love God, that are equipped in the word of God. Amen. All of us, men and women. And you say, well, I'm not going to be an elder, so I don't really need to learn how to teach or know how to teach. You know what the Bible says to husbands? If your wife would ask anything, let them ask their husbands at home. In other words, guess what? Husbands, you need to know the word because if your wife's asking you a question about the Bible, you, you're expected to know what it says, amen? So as I was saying, this relates to really all of us. It applies to all of us. And also, guess what? That shows that sisters are supposed to love the word and want to know what the word of God says, amen? And I love it when I see sisters that are in the word, man. I praise the Lord that we've had, I think we have two or three women's Bible studies going on right now in our fellowship, you know? And it's just beautiful. And it just blesses my heart when I hear men and women talking about the Lord, talking about his word. Where are they to be filled with the world or be filled with the word? And all kinds of men, man, they can cite, I mean, they know all kinds of statistics about their favorite sports team, their favorite wide receiver, perhaps, or quarterback or running back, you know, what teams are in what place and what divisions in the NFL right now. They know all sorts of things like that. But they're like, oh, but, uh, you know, well, the word, you know, that's just, you know, it's the word of God, you know, it's just, you need to have, you need to want the word, amen? The Bible says as newborn babes, like a baby, God wants you to be, I thought we're supposed to be mature, yeah, but God wants you to be a baby in this way. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word. Do newborn babies desire the pure milk? Or do they desire milk from their mama? Typically, if they don't, they're going to be malnourished. It's really tragic. It's tough when a baby refuses to eat because they dehydrate. You know, they, they get malnourished. They could even die. So it's critical that, and now it's, we say, well, yeah, well, a lot of newborn babies, well, not every baby desires milk the way other babies do. You need to, I'm encouraging you in Jesus, because he doesn't give that command unless we need to hear it, amen? If we just already all desired the pure milk of the word, right? There's John, praise God. If we all desired, we have message to elders, John. So I said the elders are upstairs and here, and John's usually here, and boom, there you are. Uh, they, they are to, we are to desire the pure milk of the word. That's a command that we're supposed to be hungry for God's word. And then when you realize, wait, I'm like a baby that needs milk, so yeah, I should desire God's word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, amen? You can't live by just your regular food, you know? You can't just say, well, praise God, I've got food to eat. You need to be praise God because you have food to eat, but keep, keep in mind your body, soul, and spirit, Amen? And your spirit needs food too. If you don't eat physical food and you just decide not to eat it for the next three months, you'll shrivel up and die. Amen? If you don't eat God's word, if you don't feed on his word, your spirit doesn't feed on his word, you'll shrivel up. And praise God, he loves you. Aren't you grateful that he's given you food to eat? How many, I have to admit, I love food. You probably tell him a big guy, right? I love food. You know, good to see you, Joe. That's one of my, my Joe friends. I have a lot of friends named Joe, but we just had some really good Thai food a few days ago. We love MJ's. That place is amazing. <laughs> so good. But you know what? I praise God. I always tell I praise God that he didn't just give us a pill to take every day. Amen? Praise God he gave us thousands, over 3,000 taste buds. Right? Sometimes that could be a problem. Right? That food tastes so good. So you got you to be wise, you know? And, 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 and smart about it and be careful in what you eat. I've had to learn that through the years too, especially as you're getting older, man. But praise God for taste buds. Well, guess what? Some food is an acquired taste, right? It's an acquired taste. You don't like it at first, perhaps. How many didn't like certain foods when you were young? You're like, ah, oh, they made, you're still young. <laughs> Raising your hand back there. But uh, praise God, that's true. But you, you grew to like them. Now they're like something that you really like. Anybody like that in here besides me? Certain vegetables, man. I love them. Now, it's interesting that we're supposed to teach the word. Elders have to teach the word. Churches aren't meant to be just, you know, social clubs where people come and just, you know, have like ice cream and, and talk and so forth. A lot of people have turned churches into social clubs, but that's not God's plan. Now, praise God, when you have the word and it's taught, the social life of the church is centered around Christ and his word, and it becomes something beautiful. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And that's beautiful. That's what I love about this. One of the things I love about this fellowship is not everybody just bolts right after it's over. 
people know each other. The brothers and sisters know each other. Most people stick around and just say hi to people and loving each other. And I'll be counseling someone after service or something just because people just come to me. I do a lot of counseling. And sometimes the best counseling that happens is right here when the elders are up here after service. And you can come and get prayer for them. Maybe you need some direction or encouragement, you know. And I'll be here for 45 minutes or so. And I'll look up and half the fellowship's still here. Last Sunday I was uh, just fellowshipping for quite a while. And then I was moving from one person to another and there was a group of four or five people guys and gals clasping hands praying together about whatever situation I don't know what they're they're praying about I was like I was just like blesses my heart so much as a pastor that's the way the Lord wants it he wants us to really be growing in the fellowship and, and knowing each other loving each other a community of believers so in first Timothy 3 as we work through it the qualification of a leader here, an elder, an overseer, is that he must be able to teach. Now, there's a really interesting passage because Paul is writing to Timothy. Do you remember where Timothy is at? Timothy is in Ephesus, right? That's one of the seven churches was Ephesus that Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation. There's more letters and more ministry as far as by name to Ephesus than any other church. The first, second, third John. Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus there. First and second Timothy, you know, it's, it's amazing when you think about it. But there's an incredible passage that's very instructive in regard to the ministry of elders to this church at Ephesus, which expands on this whole concept of being able to teach. And that's in Acts chapter 20. This shows that the solemn, it's powerful responsibility of an elder and what that should look like in the church and how the church, how we as Christians benefit from such ministry. Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And when you get there, go ahead and pick it up. And I think this is important. I want to look at, at, as we look at these next four or five verses or so, five or six verses, and we'll look at others as well. In this little passage where Paul's dealing with a elders at Ephesus because Paul is in Ephesus. Paul has been there for a few years. He's getting ready to leave. God's given him a vision, a prophecy, an understanding that that church is going to be decimated by false teachers. They're not going to be spared. They're going to be torn apart by wolves. And Paul's in tears weeping to them, to the leaders of the church to protect that fellowship there, that church at Ephesus. Oh, and I mentioned a bunch of things that were written to Ephesus. Well, I didn't mention the most obvious, the book of Ephesians, right? Six chapters, right? So Paul is addressing this, the elders of this church, and the emphasis is on teaching and taking care of the flock. And I want to look at various responsibilities that elders have, and not just elders. Elders should be paying attention for sure, but all of us should be paying attention to this passage because it relates to all of us. Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Paul says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Wow. Paul says, I'm innocent. I testify I am innocent of the blood of all men. What would it mean to be guilty of the blood of all men or some men even? In this context, it would mean that Paul had not sufficiently warned them about false doctrine, bad behavior, things that destroy the soul. And as a leader, as an apostle, he had to preach repentance or what have you. And people languished in rebellion against God because Paul didn't warn them and they perished forever. Their blood would be on Paul's head. I testify he could say, praise God. Every pastor, I would hope, at the end of his life could say, I could testify that I'm free from the blood of all men. I hope every parent here that stands before God, and if you become a parent, when you stand before God, you can say, I could testify that I'm free, I'm innocent of the blood of any of my children. Amen? And that means that you sufficiently warned your children. You encouraged them in the truth. You shared the gospel with them. You shared the love of Christ with them. But you also said, hey, if you go the wrong way, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. We all want to make sure that we fulfill our responsibilities before the Lord. And it's critical that we do that. I mean, now Paul could not guarantee that all of his converts 
would remain steadfast. Do you remember Demas in Timothy? Paul says, Demas, who's mentioned not just in Timothy, but another book as a fellow servant of Paul's, he's a fellow brother in arms, man, a, a compatriot on the front lines of the gospel. But he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He loved the evil world more than following the Lord. But Paul was innocent from his blood because he warned him. God's people go astray. Was God an imperfect father? No. He's a perfect father, amen? But what happened to Adam and Eve? In Isaiah chapter one, he says, my children have gone astray from me. Put a bit in a horse's mouth and it listens, but my children don't obey me, okay? You can't force God's people to follow, but as a parent or as an elder, you need to teach them the truth you need to share the word with them. And we have to recognize, and you're going to see this in this passage, that God's people belong to him before they belong to the elders or the, or the leadership of the church. They're just, we're stewards, amen? Same with parents. God's heart for, for our children is far heavier. It's hard to believe, but it's true. When they go astray, than ours are. And that's hard to believe. I mean... I mean, Jesus said, how often I've sought to gather you together as a hen does her chicks, but you were unwilling. And his heart broke, and it says he wept over Jerusalem, amen? If you look at Jesus, Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. That's the Father's heart, amen? So it should be the burden of an elder to have God's heart for the lost, but also his heart, God's heart for his people, amen? Where hearts break when someone goes astray, Amen? And we're going to see that in this passage, that compassion is an important component of being a leader, of being an elder, that our hearts have to care about people. But the more you care, the more you're going to hurt at times. John said, I have no greater joy than this, to see that my children walk in the truth. It's incredible joy when your children walk in the truth. But at the same time, we've all experienced it. And John's talking about spiritual children. There's no greater grief or pain at times than when our children aren't in the truth. And, and any of you who've led people to Christ, you know you have great joy. But to see that someone get caught up in some kind of new age philosophy or something like that, it just breaks your heart. But that's why there's such an emphasis here on Paul saying he is free or innocent of the blood of all men. Because you see, the background of that, remember the Old and New Testament go together. The scriptures, you know, the best way to understand scripture is by its surrounding context, any verse, any passage, and also by the paradigm of Scripture, the Bible as a whole. And Scripture interprets Scripture. So you look at Paul saying, hey, I testify that I'm innocent of blood of everyone. Wow, that's, that's pretty cool confidence there because he can say that. But the background of that is in the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 3, chapter 18, chapter 33, where Ezekiel is a prophet of God. He was a contem contemporaneous with Jeremiah, both went into captivity when Babylon came in, and both were prophets that were warned against the false prophets because the false prophets were not innocent of the blood of all men. The Lord said, Nebuchadnezzar is coming because of your sin and your rebellion against God. You're going to be brought into captivity. And guess what? The false prophet said, no, peace, peace. Well, that's not going to happen. We're not going to go through that time. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel warned that the false prophets were not telling his people to repent. It says in Jeremiah, they were promising them life even though they had not turned from their sin. Sound familiar? And Ezekiel and Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, you're a young guy, but if you don't warn them and you're dismayed with them because you're afraid, chapter one, I'll be dismayed with you, Jeremiah. And God warned Ezekiel that if you don't communicate my words of warning, to the people, their blood will be on your head, Ezekiel. I'm going to hold you responsibility. And he uses the imagery of a watchman on the wall. Because in those days, they had palaces, right? And you had the watchman on the palaces. You've seen it, right? Re Hollywood reenactments or what have you. And they're watchmen. They're watching the wall. And if they see the intruder coming, the enemy coming, what are they supposed to do? Blow a trumpet, Right? Well, what good would be a what, what would a watchman? What good would he be if he didn't blow the trumpet? If he didn't warn, he'd be in huge trouble, right? Remember when Paul 
the guard, which was like a watchman that was guarding Paul and Silas, and the doors opened because God caused an earthquake to open it up, what was the guy going to do? He was going to kill himself because he knew he was a dead man because if those guys were free on his watch, he's a dead man. It could be deadly to fall asleep on watch as a Roman soldier. But Ezekiel's day, and many for hundreds of years where their palaces, man, the watchman had to blow the trumpet. In fact, listen to this, Isaiah 58.1. Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Hosea 8.1. Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Joel 3.1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound alarm in my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. Isaiah 56.10. His watchmen, now this is like an indictment. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Can you imagine having a dog? You live in an area where you can't have a, a gun to protect yourself. So you got this really, man, this awesome Rottweiler. It's six foot three, big Rottweiler, you know, ferocious. You just get near it, it growls, but it gets come to love you. And just anybody that comes near the house, man, it just, rawr. you're like, okay, I can't have a gun to protect myself because we've lost that right in this place, what have you. But I've got this cool dog. And then you find out, man, that your house was ransacked. And the dog didn't even bark, you know? You find out, you, you look at the videotape, you see the dog was licking the thief the entire time, you know? You'd be, what a useless dog, you know? But guess what? God's, God's men, God's watchmen, have to sound the alarm. Otherwise, the blood is on their heads. In fact, go to Ezekiel. Let's go there. Chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3. One of the things I did was I worked on going through Ezekiel off and on for a while and, and looking at these, how, how this whole thing works. But then I scrapped that for another time because there's other scripture I want to get into because I thought I don't want to get too deep into Ezekiel because I want to make a lo lot of points regarding what it says in Acts chapter 20. But I want to look at a few verses here in Ezekiel. They're so powerful. Remember this, Ezekiel chapter 3. Powerful, because this is the background of what Paul is saying when he says, I'm innocent from the blood of all men. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16. He says, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman to the house of Israel, Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die. That's what God said to Eve, by the way, right? Adam. And you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked man from his wicked way that he may live. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require where? At your hand. Because you didn't warn him. You're going to be guilty of his blood. Wow. Verse 19 Yet if you have warned the wicked man, he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, you shall die, or he shall die as an iniquity, but what? You have delivered your soul, or your, yourself. I think that King James has your soul there. Verse 20, again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin. And his righteous deeds, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I require at your hand. Wow. However, verse 21, if you have warned the righteous man, and the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall live because he took warning, and you have delivered yourself, Ezekiel. I added Ezekiel there. That's who he's talking to. That's important, guys. That's important stuff, that we get that as a principle in our own lives. You may see a brother or sister that you love and you fellowship with, but all of a sudden, you're with this brother, but all of a sudden, you find out that he decides to cheat on his wife, and you find out about it. He's being unfaithful to her, 
He's coming to church. But you don't want to say anything about it because you don't want to ruin your relationship. Well, you ruin your rela- that relationship right when you refuse to talk about it. Because the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Amen? So we must warn people, or a sister, she's gone astray, right? And she's just, you know, maybe it's not ad- something like adultery. Maybe it's just bitterness, and she's just vomiting over about everybody and just hates, is upset and angry with everybody. He's only saying negative things about everybody. Instead of letting the Word of God dwell in richly and having gratitude and praising God and encouraging people, and if she sees somebody that's off, praying for them and loving that person and encouraging that person and warning that person if they need warning. Amen? So we are our brother's keepers. Don't be like Cain, who was a murderer and of the evil one, who said, am I my brother's keeper? <coughs> we are our brothers and sisters' keepers. So Paul was innocent from the blood of all men. And he says, if somebody forsakes their righteousness and they become wicked, all the righteousness that they've done, if you look at Ezekiel chapter 18 and 33, it elaborates on this actually in, in 33 quite a bit. Uh, all the, everything he did for the Lord will be remembered no longer, man. He'll just die in his sin. Or if he was a wicked man, he repents because you warn him, Ezekiel, and he gets right with God. All his wickedness will be forgotten, right? That's pretty powerful. Now it's like, well, this is when they were under the law. That's right. And I love the New Testament. I should say I love the application of this in the early church. You know the early church applies this? In uh, the Didache, which was written in the early or late part of the first century, or early second century, oldest extent Christian writing outside of the Bible, or the, the epistle of Barnabas, another early church writing, you know how they put it? If someone turns from the Lord, turns back to life of sin, his former faith will not be remembered anymore. Or if he comes, so the point is, is that we're saved not by the works of law, we're saved by grace through faith, amen? So they apply this passage by saying, now God looks at whether we're trusting and really following the Lord or not in our hearts. Of course, faith that works is dead, and there'll be a lifestyle of, of, of righteousness, so, brothers and sisters, do you understand when Paul says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, what the background is? Paul realizes that if he does not preach the gospel and preach the whole counsel of God, the blood of others is on his head. In fact, you know what? In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I beat my body down. So after I preach to others, I myself will not be considered a dakamas, rejected by God. I run the race to win. I box is not beating the air. I don't shadow box. I box for real. And you know what he says? He says, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Judgment to me if I don't preach the gospel. So let's go back now to the book of Acts. So it's important that elders realize that we are accountable before God. Do you realize it says in Hebrews chapter 13, very, very important warning, that you're to obey your leaders. That means you're involved in fellowship. That means you've got a fellowship that you're part of in some way. Because you can't obey your leaders if you're a lone ranger Christian. But it says obey your leaders. And then it says this. For they shall give an account for your soul. That's the warning of leaders. We're going to stand before God and give an account for those who are over us. Just as parents will give an account. Can't force your kid, but you can teach your kid the truth. Amen? And I know so many of the parents here are sharing truth with their children. But I'm encouraging you to, you know, keep it up. But in Acts chapter 20, uh, it's critical that we understand what Paul's saying here. So let's read verse 26 again with that background. And I'll send these verses come to life when you let the word of God be breathed into them. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Why, Paul? Verse 27. For I did not what? I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I didn't shrink away, man, and say, you know what, I'm just going to preach a little bit of God's word. You know, it's kind of like a smorgasbord. I like this verse. I like that verse. But I'm going to stay away from the controversial subjects. I'm going to stay away from subjects that are not politically correct. So I'm not going to talk about homosexuality. I'm not going to talk about divorce. I'm not going to talk about abortion, you know. And he says he didn't shrink from preaching what? The whole purpose of God or the whole counsel of God, King James. I love that about Paul. See, some pastors, some preachers will preach on the love of God, but not on the fear of God. 
Most churches never hear a message on the fear of God. If you listen to a lot of Christian radio, you rarely hear a message on the fear of God even. Trinity Broadcasting Network, I don't know if they've ever had a message on the fear of God unless it was about Ananias and Spira, so you get more money, you know. They preach about heaven, but a lot of preachers will not preach about hell. In fact, the church today is teaching a lot of people have gone into universalism where everybody's going to be saved. Like that book by William Young called The Shack and the movie where the dad is a, is a child abusing, drunk, or beating his kid, but he dies, and he's in heaven in the end, of the, at the movie, end of the movie. It's a lie. Paul said in Acts chapter, or Romans chapter 20, he said, consider therefore the goodness and the severity of God. Catch that? Romans eleven twenty through 22, consider therefore the goodness, that's the grace of God. Did we talk about what Jesus did on the cross and the grace of God and the love of God here in heaven and so forth? All the time. But also the severity of God. Paul says, consider therefore, so let's consider both the goodness and the severity of God. And I know that's not a formula to have the biggest church in town, but who's after pragmatism? We're after glorifying God, amen? And praise God, God's given us, a, by the grace of God, a huge worldwide audience that is into what we share here. And praise God, that shows you that there are, is a remnant because there are preachers and pastors and churches that can preach the truth and, and people will still respond. There'll be a great multitude that no one can number, it says in Revelation. So vast, you can't even number it. From every nation, kindred, people, and tongue that will belong to Christ at the very end. So praise God, his sheep hear his voice. But we're not trying to have a church full of sheep and goats. Amen? So we want to make sure we preach the whole counsel of God. They'll talk about faith and grace, but they won't talk about repentance today. Paul, now guess what? If I don't preach repentance, Luke 13, 3, Luke 13, 5, Jesus said, unless you repent, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. So we have to make sure we've repented. Have you made sure that you repented? Have you made sure that you said, you know what? I can't just say, yeah, I believe in the Lord. Because James says, faith that works is dead, and, and even the demons believe and they tremble. They're, they know it's real. But repentance is when you have a change of heart. You have godly sorrow. You're, you're broken because of your sin. You're like, I know deep down, I've blown it, and I've sinned against you, Lord. And it says godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of the will whereby you, in your heart you turn from a life of rebellion against God. You say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And you put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross so you can be forgiven of your sins. Amen? And that's part of the great commission. You, as a pastor or an elder, you, you, and, and any pastors, elders, listen to me right now. You, got, you can't leave out repentance. It's part of the great commission. Luke 24, 47, when Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into all the world. Remember that? He says, preaching, verse 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's part of the deal. But right now we have what, a heresy in the church called easy believism. All you have to do is just believe in your brain that Jesus died for you. You don't have to turn to him and follow him, become a disciple or repent. That's a heresy that is damning a lot of souls. And those who are preaching it will stand before God and have to give an account because they'll have a lot of blood on their hands. Are you with me? Am I going too fast or are we good? Because I could go too fast, so please go like this. And I always give you permission, just go like this, because I need that sometimes. Because all of a sudden I start, well, you know. So some people keep up, but some people can't. In fact, uh, who was it? Somebody's just telling me that they put people on one and a half speed and two speed when they listen to podcasts, when they listen to messages. Who was saying that? I was with a brother. And he said, but I can't do that with you, <laughs> Can't, I have to listen to you at normal speed, you know. And then somebody else told me they slowed me down. That was a, Lisa and I were ministering to a couple, and praise the Lord, we love you guys, from Oxnard, really sweet couple. Or no, from, they're from Santa Barbara. We met them in Oxnard, and, and we've gotten together with them a couple times to encourage them. And, and she's an ex-New Ager and stuff. And she said, I have to turn you down to three-quarter speed, but I really get fed. So I'm like, praise God, you know. So I don't want anybody to have to turn me down, okay, to three-quarter speed, so I'm trying to slow down, so... Still a work in progress. But listen, it's imperative that we recognize how serious this is because today, most pastors don't preach repentance. Or they redefine it. 
like Rick Warren, you know, we, those pastors.com, most popular pastor in the country, called America's pastor, not by us, but he doesn't preach. He, he says, well, I don't like to use the word repentance, you know. He goes, I like to use the word, like, paradigm shift. Just paradigm shift. So I use the word paradigm shift because it's just, it's God wants us to think differently. No, it's more than thinking differently. It's having a change of heart. It's being poor in spirits, being broken over our rebellion against God, Right? And they're crying out to God in our hearts, turning from sin to the Lord. And the Bible says, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. True repentance has fruit. Amen? So praise God. It's important that we preach the whole counsel of God. Now, it's imperative, too, that we understand that we teach not only that, but keep your finger in Acts 20. It's pretty easy to find, but look at Titus. Look at the book of Titus chapter 1, because this is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, these two books are written to Christian leaders, Titus and Timothy, right? Early young pastors, at least interim pastors until they got those churches established. And Titus is right after 1 and 2 Timothy, and he's also a young pastor, right? But look at what it says here. Verse 7, for the overseer, it's talking about the, the overseer, the qualifications, just like Timothy, right? But look at verse 9. This relates to his teaching. Holding fast the what? Faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort and what? In sound doctrine. So the elder must be able to exhort in sound doctrine. Again, he must know the word, be able to do it, and then he must do it. And what? He must be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to what? What's the next part of verse 9 say? And to refute those who contradict. Those who refute. He needs to be able to refute those who contradict. You know? And, and it's, it's important because he goes on to talk about here because these false teachers are upsetting whole households. They upset entire households. People fall from the faith because of false teaching. It destroys households. I've seen with my own eyes, people in our own fellowship, I saw a family get into a false doctrine. Lisa and I went to their house. We tried to rescue them from, from it. I want to cry right now. I think about it. I still pray for them. But they got into this false doctrine that was so wicked. And we warned them, this is not the Lord. They listened to a couple young teenagers on the internet. The, the daughter did. And then she turned the parents onto it and and they weren't here all the time, but they were here plenty. But they weren't doctrinally astute. They were kind of newer. And I warned them, I go, this is not good. I go, this is lead. And, you know, it was a matter of, I think, a couple years, if that, that the whole family broke up, divorced, and the kids went back to the world, the mom. and I, I understand what I've been told. The whole family fell away. And that's why it says they upset entire households here in Titus. That's why I have to emphasize God's truth. Amen. Now, so the first responsibility that we're seeing here is, uh, is actually being free from the blood of all men. We're accountable to the Lord, right? Number two, we must preach the whole counsel of God as elders, as leaders, amen? Not leaving out the things that are controversial, but speak the truth in love, you know? Anybody who knows me knows I love you, you know? Knows that I, I, I hurt over people that are lost and get lost and... That's the motivation of us elders. If you know the elders in this fellowship, they all have loving hearts, you know? And it's neat to see. But there's a third responsibility. Back to Exodus or Acts chapter 20. Go now to verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Be on guard for yourselves and all the flocks. Number three, be on guard for yourself. As an elder, you can relate to this as just a Christian. Watch yourself. Amen. Or a parent, be on guard for yourself. Watch your own behavior, amen? Watch your own teaching. Be on guard for, your, guard for yourself, number three. Number four, add all the flock. We need to guard ourselves. We need to guard our hearts. And it's important that we get this because uh, Paul said, let him who thinks he's dance take heed lest he fall. So we have to watch our own steps. So any leader, they can't just say, okay, I gotta make sure the church is doing good. I've got to make sure they're being fed, that they're protected, that they're, they're cared for. 
we have to make sure that we're making sure our own hearts are right first, amen? And that we're humble before God, that we're relying on his grace day by day, that we're, we have our prayer life that is, that is rich, where we're seeking God and crying out to him and not trying to do it on our own, where we tremble at his word, recognizing that we're gonna give an account. Because in James 3, 1, it says, let not many of you seek to be teachers, catch this, don't let many of you seek to be teachers, for teachers will receive a stricter judgment. So I just think, oh yeah, I just want to, I want to be a teacher. That, that's not, that, you know, I love to do that. Well, do you know the word? Do you fear and tremble at his word? And do you realize you're going to give an account for people's souls and their blood could be on your hands? You got to make sure you fear and love God and that you're called because you'll receive a stricter judgment than those who are not teachers. Amen? So it's very, very important. We have to watch our lives. So he says, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock of God. So it's supposed to be guarding. So one thing a shepherd does, an overseer does, he guards, amen? He doesn't just show up and say, oh, praise God for John 3.16, brothers and sisters, isn't that a great verse? See y'all later. While people are just following in the pit, being led astray by all kinds of doctrines. You know, I, I, every time I fly, and I've flown dozens and dozens and dozens of times through the years in ministry, and one thing you always hear over and over again is a flight attendant I always say stewardess still. I try to get that right. But the flight attendant says, when the air drops, right? The, the, you know, you can get that air, that mask. What does she always say? It always just tripped me out. It's like, when I first saw it, I was like, that's interesting. Basically, put it over your own face first and not over your kids. First time I heard that, I'm like, what? Then I had to think about it. I go, oh, that's why. Because if you're suffocating, you cannot help your kid, right? <sighs> Make sure you're, you're right. Make sure things are good so you can help your kid. Amen? Otherwise, you and your kid will die. And that's the same with us. We need to make sure we're watching our own walks. In fact, look at 1 Timothy. Again, go to 1 Timothy, which is our launching pad. But instead of going to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And when you get to chapter 4, I want you to look at verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. It says in 1 Timothy 4, 16, pay, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Pay close attention to yourself, not just others, to yourself, and not just attention, close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Persevere in being watchful of yourself. Just don't think your heart's always right. And you're teaching why. For as you do this, you will what? King James says, save yourself, I think. NASB has ensure salvation. Ensure salvation, both for yourself and for who? And for those who hear you. Isn't that interesting? Watch your life and your doctrine. Watch your behavior and your teaching. And persevere in these things, and in doing this, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. He's talking about final salvation there. But he's like, but wait a minute. Do we save ourselves? Jesus died to save us, amen? He paid the price on the cross. We're saved from our sins, and the payment for our sins was only made by Jesus, amen? You can't add to his finished work on the cross. We're saved by grace through faith, amen? We're saved by faith in him. So we don't add to our salvation, but in what way do we save ourselves then? In what way do we save ourselves and those who hear us as leaders and as Christians as we watch ourselves and our teaching? What are we, how are we being saved in that way? Well, obviously it's God's teaching that's saving us, but in relationship to us, trusting his teaching, persevering in his teaching, and watching our behavior, making sure it's just not sound teaching, but that we are responding and applying that teaching to our lives, amen? How is that, that we save ourselves and those who hear us according to 1 Timothy 4, 16? You have to go up to chapter four, verse one. You save yourself from falling away into false doctrine and perishing. Look at 1 Timothy chapter four, just back up, look at the context, verse one. But the Spirit speaks or explicitly says that in later times, some will what? Fall away from the faith. 
Oh, well, then they never had the faith. No, it says fall away from the faith. Mommy, I fell. Look at my knees. are all bloody. I fell from the monkey bar. Well, you must have never really been on the monkey bar. That doesn't make any sense, right? They fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, how can you keep yourself from falling away from the faith and the doctrines of demons and seducing spirits? Following some new age meditations where it's all about you now and you want to realize your own divinity within and get in touch with yourself and it becomes all about you and you're no longer loving the one and following the one who made you, who died for you, who created a, a, a new heaven, new earth and preparing a place for you. You get your eyes off of the Lord and what he did for you onto yourself. That's wrong. How can you keep from falling into these new agey demon doctrines? Because there's all these leaders, these teachers, they admit they're, many times they'll admit they're being used by spirits. And the Bible warns these evil spirits will use them to lead you away from Christ. How do you keep from falling away? Now put the verses together. Verse 16, continue to watch yourself and your teaching, watch your behavior, your life and your teaching, and so doing you'll save yourself and those who hear you, Amen. So in other words, you won't fall into those things because you're in the word of God, amen? How did Jesus defeat Satan? Three times he whipped out the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and said, it is written, amen? And he persevered in those things. And, it, and, and praise God, he's an example to us. We're supposed to put on the full arm of God. We're in spiritual warfare. In pastoral ministry, as elders, you're on the front lines of, of warfare. It's a war we're in. And we have to whip out the sword and make sure we cut down the false doctrines that would lead our brothers and sisters from Christ. I mean, First and Second Timothy and Titus emphasize over and over again sound doctrine, sound doctrine, sound teaching. Why do you think I emphasize it? That's biblical. I remember I sat down with a new pastor who was new in Simi Valley, and he was getting, became a pastor, and he was just not about the truth at all. I could find, whoa, man. And I took him to First, Second Timothy, Titus. Not didn't take him through all those books, but I went to those, you know, those writings, and I said, hey, as pastors, man, we have to guard the flock from false teaching. And he was more in it because he was into, you know, this idea was just feeling good and everything. His church lasted maybe three or four months. So we need to guard the flock. The shepherds that are out there in the field with the sheep, they don't just feed the sheep, they guard them, amen? They protect them. And that's what we have to do because, but we're in a spiritual war. But we have to watch our lives, watch our doctrines, I was talking to Brother Gerald, praise the Lord, beautiful worship uh, with Gerald t today, and I just, we just fellowshiped last week or so, and he was sharing with me, he's giving me some of his testimony, and I ended up in, asked how he ended up, you know, getting saved, and how he ended up at Blessed Oak Chapel, and so forth, and I knew a little bit of his testimony, but not much, and it was great hearing it, but he said the church I came from was a church of 5,000, a mega church in Downey, huge church. And, but he said, you know, I think Benny Hinn was invited to speak, and, and he didn't know sound doctrine at first, you know, but it seems, things didn't seem right. And he was there for some time, but he became born again because he was playing video games. And he said he was playing like a violent video game, and he was dozing off to it, and, he, and all of a sudden he woke up, and he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. He began to weep, saying, what is going on with my life? What am I doing with my life? And he said he began to weep for days and weeks. And he was regenerated, born again as he sought Jesus. You can see he has a, such a beautiful passion for Christ. It's beautiful to see. And, uh, and I asked him why he left his fellowship and ended up here. And he said, because the pastor is a known adulterer. And he slept with the worship team member and made her a secretary and... and has a baby with her, but still married to his wife, and has a picture of himself and that kid in his church or in his office with the kid from that other person. I go, he hasn't repented even? I mean, repentance in that way, I mean, would be stepping down, I believe, personally, you know, but until at least some of that would be some of the fruit of repentance. No, so a lot of people have left, but a lot of new people there don't even know, you know, and he was grieved over that. But guess what? He doesn't preach, he said, against, you know, adultery and he doesn't preach repentance and he doesn't preach about marriage a lot or at all he says he doesn't preach about marriage because he doesn't want to be a hypocrite 
Well, that's why you got to watch your life so you're not a hypocrite when you preach. But right when he steps up in that pulpit, I don't care what he says, he's being a hypocrite if people don't realize the wicked life he's been living. I don't know what he's living now, but if he's repented, he needs to make it clear he's repented. I pray he does. If what Gerald is saying is, you know, Gerald's an honest guy, but I'm saying if he has the facts right. It's, it's heartbreaking, though. So we have to watch our lives and our doctrines and watch how we live our lives and make sure that we're don't elders, man, and leaders and deacons and everybody, Sunday school teachers here and everybody that loves the Lord and family members and parents, so forth. Watch your life. You know, I've told the elders for a long time ago, we do not counsel women alone. You know, no, you know, my secretary is my wife. You know, that's safe, okay? And she has Mary as her helper, but they work together. I don't hang out with Mary alone. I don't even go behind that glass and talk to her when the place is full and everybody can see us. I just don't do that. It's just not because I know the Bible wants us to abstain from every appearance of evil. Amen? So we need to guard our hearts. Absolutely. And it's important here that we understand that we are, <laughs> we are definitely going to stand before God. So you save yourself from false, falling away into false doctrine. Back now to Acts chapter 20. Picking it up now. Acts chapter 20. Now go ahead and verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers Recognize that you are an overseer, giving oversight, and that you've been chosen by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit of God. So you've been appointed and you have a responsibility to realize your calling is directed by the Holy Spirit, who's quite powerful, as third person of the triune Godhead, to shepherd the church of God. You have to shepherd the church of God. Shepherd, you're a shepherd. Protect and feed which he purchased, now this is heavy, which he purchased with his own blood. That means now as a pastor, as an elder in this fellowship, I need to recognize and leaders need to recognize the church is incredibly valuable to the Lord. Jesus says, he knows every hair in her head, he says the sparrows are sold for just a penny, right? A couple pennies. He goes, but you are greater, much greater value than the sparrows. He said the father goes to the sparrows' funerals, right? He sees when a sparrow dies. He cares about him. He says, how much more does he care for you? Well, we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. So as leaders, we need to recognize this church was redeemed by, look what it says, which he purchased with what? It says, shepherd the church of God, which he, meaning God, purchased with his own what? Blood. If anybody tells you that Jesus is not God, you can take him to this verse, right? Because <laughs> it says we're supposed to shepherd the church of God, which he, God, Purchased, bought with his own blood. Jesus is God. A lot of verses teach that. A lot of scripture passages teach that. Jehovah's Witnesses, when you look at the New World Abomination, or I'm sorry, what they call the New World Translation, uh, that says, which he purchased with the, the blood of his son. It adds son there. Son's not in the, any Greek manuscript, by the way. That's a lie. Because they don't want to believe that Jesus is God. So it's imperative to recognize that if somebody gave you, if you, were in, if you were tasked with guarding the most important jewel that ever existed, the most, uh, this huge, precious diamond, and you were tasked with that responsibility by the company you worked for, you would probably take that seriously, right? Well, what's more, what's more important, a, a, a diamond or a baby? A baby. You would take guarding that child's life with your very life, Amen. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. It's not one baby, one child, but the church, the leaders are tasked with taking care of all the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a huge responsibility. Because it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, that we were not redeemed by perishable things like silver and gold, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? That's very, very important that we get that. Let's continue to read on. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Wow. So there's going to be wolves, savage wolves. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, beware, 
of wolves that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are as ravenous wolves, right? So he warns them that there's going to be wolves that come to the church of Ephesus and they will not spare the flock. They're going to be munching a lot of people at the church of Ephesus with false doctrine. And so we have to, so elders, just like a shepherd has to watch over the flock and watch out for wolves that come in, we are tasked with watching out for wolves that come in amongst us. False teachers, false teachings. And it's everywhere. And it's harder today than it was in the first century in some ways. Why? Because now, it's not just somebody that you can spot that comes in. You have brothers and sisters driving down the road, driving down the freeway, right? Hearing all kinds of teachers. Looking at the internet, hearing all kinds of podcasts, all kinds of teachings. And they get filled, their ears can get tickled. Because Paul warns in 2 Timothy 4 how this happens. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warns. He says, right? Speaking of the end of times, the time will come, verse 2, in 2 Timothy 4, when they will not endure sound doctrine. People will not want to hear sound doctrine anymore. But after their own lust, they'll heap themselves many teachers or teachers that will tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. And it says their, their, their hearts will be turned away from the truth to error or myths or lies. So you have to be very careful when you're driving down the road, what you're listening to. That's why I warn you because in those days when Paul was writing this, it wasn't like there was all these people plugging into all kinds of false teaching, but today it's everywhere. So I have to emphasize truth because over and over again, people get caught up in strange things. And I have to watch myself and my doctrine. In so doing, we save ourselves and those who hear us, Paul says. I know after my departure, savage wolves, savage wolves, not just wolves, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And sometimes people, I love wolves, you know, I'm talking about animal wolves, not false teacher wolves. But wolves can also be brutal, and I've seen things I don't like about them. I watched one documentary where one wolf killed like 35 of the guy's sheep. He's filming, he's showing it, there was, it's an, it was a documentary. It just hopped over the fence, got through the fence or whatever, and it didn't just eat one sheep or some of it and leave, it just, just started killing all of them. I thought, wow, that's a savage wolf, man. Oh, wolves are all very nice. No, sometimes they can be very savage, and so that's the way false teachers are. They'll lay waste to the flock, so we have to be on our guard against them. And they come to you in sheep's clothing. I mean, one of the more popular teachers right now is a man by the name of Andy Stanley. Have you ever heard of Andy Stanley? He's got a church of like 22,000 or more. And Charles Stanley is his dad. And I have a book by Charles Stanley. He's on KKLA, Christian Radio. You hear him all the time. You're driving down the road. Very popular teacher. But there's crazy things going on right now. We just did a podcast on him that'll probably air Monday or Wednesday, coming up pretty soon, because... At his church, he basically, you know, uh, what if I told you guys there's some adulterers in the fellowship. There's a group of them back there, and they're all sleeping with each other's husbands and wives and stuff. And, but they're such an example of faith. In fact, they have greater faith than me. They have greater faith than you guys. They're an example to us. We shouldn't make them feel bad because they come here knowing it's wrong that they're committing adultery. But their faith is so great that they come here even though they're uncomfortable. Isn't that amazing faith? We should, it's even greater faith than I have. What an excellent paragons of virtue they are. And there's a bunch of drunkards that love to hang out over there and they just get totally drunk. They're doing meth and coke and everything. And, you know, and, and then they get break up into these brawls and stuff. But they still come to church. They have more faith than I have. They have more faith than you have because they come to church still. And it must be hard for them. It's easier for us to come to church so they have greater faith than you. And they love their heavenly father. And I say those kinds of things and so forth. Would I be accurate? <laughs> no. That's what he just did regarding homosexuality. He said, we have gays in our church and they have more faith than me. They have more faith than uh, you guys and and because it's hard for them to be here, so they still come. He's ba- had him baptized at his church, and, he, and this is just recently where he just said this, you know. And, and you know, and the homosexual, homosexual are really happy that, that Christians, cheap pastors are really popular. It's supposed to be evangelical, not supposed to be liberal, but hey, guess what? That they're affirming homosexuality as an acceptable behavior. But guess what? 
Homosexuality is on the same list as adulterers and fornicators and drunkards, right? In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, of those who won't inherit the kingdom of God. And the Lord says, don't be deceived. Those who do these things won't inherit God's kingdom. It's serious stuff. So I have to be on guard. Now I can ignore that. I can ignore those things that are going on and just let them happen and let people be. But a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Paul says that God's having sexual relations with his stepmom his father's wife, he, I mean, this is the guy who's having relations with his father's wife. Paul says to excommunicate him. Put him out of the fellowship. Don't even eat with him. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so his spirit may be saved. So he comes back to the Lord. So he feels guilt and, and shame and he comes back and he gets right with God because he won't inherit the kingdom, Paul says in chapter 6, the very next chapter. He warns about that. It's critical. It's vital that you warn him. But Annie Stanley talked about a lady came to him in his church and said, my husband and I aren't divorced yet, but he left me for this other man. And, they're, and you're letting them be greeters at the door. And sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians 5, right? And we're still married, and then he's, but he's with another man at the door, and they're greeters together, his sex partner. And Annie Stanley said, I'll take care of it, but... He called the man, and he says this. I quote this on our podcast. I'm getting more, a lot more detail than that. You want to check that out. Hopefully, you check out our Good Fight podcast. But he said, I called him and said, hey, buddy, you know, you can't be with this guy right now because your divorce isn't complete. And you're committing adultery. He said, you're committing old-fashioned adultery. And that's wrong, you know. So, in other words, wait till your marriage is over. Wait till you're divorced. So he pulled him away from being a greeter. It didn't say he excommunicated him. For, he's committing adult, homosexuality, adultery, but he's not being excommunicated. That's Andy Stanley, guys. These are popular teachers that are considered evangelical Christians, leaders. But, yeah, it's not Christian at all, you know. A lot of these guys are wolves in sheep's clothing. In fact, Andy Stanley helped his dad, Charles Stanley, write a book called Eternal Security, which I have, I have it marked up, where it teaches that you can turn against Christ as a false Messiah and you have nothing to fear still. So wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. And we go into a lot more detail. We actually show clips of, uh, uh, you know, practicing homosexual, being baptized in this church and talking about how great it is that they accept this homosexuality and so forth. And it's just heartbreaking, guys. What's happening? We said this is coming, right? But you think it's just on the fringes now? Now it's starting to go a little more mainstream. And if I'm going to be a good pastor, a good shepherd, I'm going to have to say those things that aren't popular. I'm, but I serve an audience of one, man, Jesus. Amen? I want to stand before him, and I want to make sure that I'm innocent or free from the blood of all men. You want to make sure of that for yourself too. Amen? Let's look back at that passage Verse 30, and from among your own selves, men will arise. Check that out, scary man. From among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So it's not just watching for wolves outside. From among the elders themselves, an elder could pop up and say, hey, I want to get, I want to have my own church, and I'm going to try to lead people astray that are in this church. And Paul warned about not building another man's foundation, but he seeks to separate the flock by, that's wicked. Bible warns about that. These are wolves too that seek to cause division in a fellowship and split churches. It's happened to thousands of churches. Because Satan knows he can't just, he doesn't just try from the outside. He tries from within. Remember Troy? Remember the Trojan horse? Some believe that's a true story. Many historians say they don't think it is. But they were trying to destroy the city, but they couldn't penetrate it after being there for months and months and months. So they made it look as though they were leaving, and they had this big old bonfire and a sacrifice to their gods for their voyage out of there, and they built this big Trojan horse to commemorate their gods, so it looked like Citizen Troy said, wow, they left. They were all rejoicing. Oh, look, this little, this, this, this horse they left here, man. Let's bring it in. They bring it in, supposedly. Boom. There it is. It's late at night. They're having revelry. They're partying. They're getting, just getting drunk. They all go to sleep. Guess what? The soldiers unload themselves from that. You've, you've probably seen the movie, right? And they go and they open the gates and let their comrades in, the armies in. 
and they go and slit the throats of those who are sleeping and just destroy the city from within. We have to also, as it says, be alert. He says, look at verse 30, or verse uh, 31, the last couple verses now. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. I mean, I warned you with tears. We need to have compassion. Jesus saw the flock. He said they're like a shepherd without a flock. He had compassion on them. So it's critical, and I've only got a minute left here. It's critical that you have compassion as a leader and that you're praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ and the children of God, amen, and that you're warning them and admonishing them. And last verse, verse 32, and now I commend you to the grace to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you where? To the word of his grace. Back to the word, man. We've got to stay in the word because it's through the word of God that we learn about the inheritance that we have through God's grace and what Jesus did for us on the cross, amen. Let's all stay in the word. Let's guard our families. Let's guard the flock. Let's all be watchmen of, to one degree or another, amen, of what the Lord has blessed us with. Let's love each other. Let's protect each other. Let's realize we're the family of God, amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand?